We are about a month into our summertime sermon series called Storytime. Summer seems an opportune time to, to gather around and hear a good story, and we're looking at the stories of Jesus, in particular the parables of Jesus, how often he taught some of his most central truths uh, by way of story. And so we, we've even created a setting that suggests a campfire ambiance, curve the chairs in a little bit so we can gather all the more readily around a story together. Admittedly, though, today's story is one of the more confusing and challenging stories that Jesus shares. Listen now for the word of the Lord through Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what will I do now that the master's taking away the position from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to them, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the church I served in Virginia had this narthex area, you know, the area outside the, the main sanctuary, and it was quite big, and it was quite dark, purposely so. That was the original design. Very few windows, a uh, very dark setting. Even the, the lighting arrangement was always purposely kept uh, dim, even if every light was, was on. And, and then, of course, you open the doors to the sanctuary, and suddenly there is this abundance of radiant light. Theologically, right, it was meant to suggest this idea that you're moving from darkness to light, from ignorance to the illumination known under the presence of God, from, 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 from the brokenness and sin of the world into the light and goodness of, of God's glory. And when I read this parable that we just heard, it feels to me like Jesus went out Purpose went out of his way very purposely and, and took all of God's people, stood them in the middle of the narthex, and from that very dark, dim place, pulled this person who lives his whole life in that darkness and tells God's people, now that's what faith is really about. It's strange, isn't it? There was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought that he was squandering the property. Squandered, wasted, you heard in the moment with the children. Like the prodigal son 
that younger son who squandered the inheritance on the evil, the, the bad living that he does. Interesting, that parable comes right before this one I just read. Back-to-back stories about squandering. A manager has squandered a great job and this property with his own overlooking, not doing a good job, accounting. So the rich man, the master, he summons the manager to him and, and, and tells him, give, give me accounting of what you're doing. You, you, you can no longer be my manager. Fired. But notably not punished. I mean, not, not put in jail, not, nothing worse. Which is to say there's judgment, but there's also, I mean, he loses his job, but there's also mercy. There's nothing else. Not to say the situation isn't quite fearful. You heard the manager says to himself, what am I, I going to do? I, I, I can't dig and I'm, I'm too ashamed to beg. And Again, he's just not a sympathetic character. We might like him to say, given what I have done and, and, and the loss of my job and, and where I'm at in life, I'll take anything to, to make an honest living and, and just get things right. But, you know, if he was somehow dishonest or squandering of his master's money, we do need to give him this. He's honest with himself. My body can't do that kind of work, and I am too proud to beg. So, to ensure that he does have food to eat and a roof over his head, he comes up with a rather cunning idea to ingratiate himself to the neighbors so that they can be the providers. And as we read, he does the plan quickly. because He doesn't have too long to work before word gets out that he's doing work that he's actually no longer employed to be doing. How much do you owe the master? And then quickly he cuts the debt. The first cut is worth about 10 months of manual labor. The second cut we heard is worth about 13 months of manual labor. These people must undoubtedly love this manager who, who, who went to bat for them with the rich landowner and, and said, we got to cut the debt down. And he, oh, he vouched for us and now he's cutting it. Ugh. And they must love the, the landowner a little bit more saying, gosh, I, what a guy. He let the manager cut our debt. But this is all so risky, isn't it? I mean, it can't be too long before he's discovered, right? And then what happens? It, it, it seems the shrewd manager has calculated two distinct possibilities that the master would have before him the moment the master realizes that this manager is wrongfully cutting the debts. The master could say, hey, people, your debts are actually not forgiven. Tack the debt back on. And the shrewd manager himself would, would be severely punished. Jail, maybe himself saddled with significant debt. Maybe worse. I mean, again, this plan, he's really putting his, his well-being, his future, maybe even his life on the line with this. Of course, with that first option... The rich landowner, this master, he's almost certain to face heavy disappointment and criticism from these people who are surely, right this moment, celebrating the significant debt relief that they are all sharing in. I mean, he's got some major people discontent on his hand. 
if he just tacks the debt back on. Option two, maybe the master shows mercy. Saw a glimpse of that kind of character earlier in the story. Maybe the master remains silent about this whole thing that he never knew or approved of this debt relief. He just accepts it and enjoys some significantly new praise coming from all the people. What a generous landowner we have. When it comes right down to it, the shrewd manager is calculating which hill will the master really die upon. Getting his money no matter what or forgiving, keeping the forgiven loans. Getting justice or giving mercy. Will he prioritize his financial currency with the people or his relational currency with the people? In the gamble the shrewd manager is making, it reminds me of this scene in A Field of Dreams. Remember that movie? And do you remember, if you've seen it, there's this moment where Kevin Costner's character, Ray, he has to convince a complete stranger, uh, James Earl Jones's character, uh, Terrence Mann, has to convince uh, Terrence Mann that the two of them need to attend a baseball game at Fenway Park in Boston that night. Terrence Mann, in, in the movie, he's a famous activist and, and author and... Um, and, and um, from the 60s, who was all about um, uh, peaceful protests and all the rest. And so Ray knows about Terrence Mann by way of the books, but they don't know each other. And Ray's having no luck convincing Mann to leave his apartment in Boston and go to a baseball game with a complete stranger. And uh, so Ray gets desperate. Maybe you remember this scene. He, he, he puts his finger in his pocket like this and, and, and without Mann noticing. And, and Mann says, that's not a gun. Yes, it is. Remember this? James Earl Jones is going to say, oh, yeah. And he picks up a crowbar. He starts walking towards Kevin Costner, who, who you know, starts backing up, you know, with still finger in his pocket. And he trips and falls backwards onto the ground. And, and Terrence Mann raises the crowbar. He's just sick of this guy walking in his apartment. And, and he goes, stop it. You can't do that. You're a pacifist. And man, annoyed and frustrated, puts the crowbar down. Because fundamentally, he's a pacifist. The shrewd manager bets that even, even if the master comes with him with, with a crowbar because of how conniving he's become, because of what he's done, even so, He thinks the master's going to fundamentally relent because most fundamentally, the master's merciful. He's betting the whole plan on the master's character. And indeed, his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Not only does the plan work, He's commended. And look, we say, look, kudos. Kudos for leveraging the debt of the community and, and the relational capital of the community uh, to secure your own livelihood and, and even further the good reputation of, of the landowner of the mass. Kudos. But 
I don't know. To go to yet another movie example, it feels like you're watching uh, Ocean's 11, or as 8.30 reminded me, there's Ocean's 12 and 13 and 8, and there's lots of them. But you're watching this group of people do this really ingenious heist of a Vegas casino, right? And halfway through the movie, you're wondering how it is that you have let yourself completely root for all the people that really should be going to jail if they do this. <laughs> Jesus. Are we supposed to root for the dishonest people of this age because, hey, they're savvy and they move the ball forward? Why are we commending this guy? And then you heard it actually gets just a little bit worse. (laughs) For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Tell me the last time you saw that verse framed on the entryway (laughs) of a house. Boy, there is a lot that could be said here. And I will say for centuries, this parable, and particularly the end of this whole bit, uh, has befuddled. Scholars and good church people, we won't get into quite all of it, unfortunately, but I I do think a key, a significant key to these final verses is listening again to to the most fundamental thing that really is commended in the story itself. Hear it again. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Greek word equally translated prudently, wisely. In Scripture, it speaks to a way of, of life, the kind of life that develops out of a lifetime of, a, of attending to God and God's ways. Walking in the way of God. But of course, over time, and maybe even especially in our time, those words, wise, prudent, shrewd, they have collected what Eugene Peterson calls an air of stodginess. Right? They're kind of serious words. They're sober words. Words that sometimes have a connotation of, 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 of carefulness, not a bad thing, of, of not rocking the boat. Uh, sometimes have a connotation of a lot of mind, but not necessarily action. Part of the gift of this parable is it helps us to see that wisdom and prudence and shrewdness, they're far more expansively understood Living God's wisdom and prudence, this parable makes clear, most definitely entails risk and faith. The manager is banking on the character of the master to come through or the plan just doesn't work. Jesus commends shrewd, active, risk-taking, faithful action. And Jesus makes clear, even if it's misguided or selfish, he goes on, a lot of the narthex people are better than the, quote, children of the light sanctuary people at risking their well-being, their future, quite possibly their lives. And courageous acts of faith for something better or something selfish or something. And, and the implied question behind Jesus holding up this, this shrewd manager and making this statement about the, 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 the children of this age, the children of the, light, this, of the light, is this. Could it be that the church could learn something about faith from the rest of the world? 
Is it possible the church could use a field trip to the Narthex space? Not, not to judge, not to critique, not even to try to fix and heal, but, but actually learn again what it means to risk something that matters. Have you seen any dishonest managers with shrewd courage to commend Again, not dishonesty to commend, but no denying it. You know, they they do take real risk in service of what they believe to be true. Hmm. Or maybe, as we sit here this morning in the house of God, we, we might simply and rightly look afresh upon Jesus himself. Because, right, isn't there something fundamentally shrewd about a Savior who gains a a religious following, by eating in the narthex with sinners and tax collectors and hypocritical Pharisees? I mean, isn't there something fundamentally shrewd about a Savior whose power is made known by way of humility, who holds his community together not by way of coercion, but forgiveness, who confronts sin and evil not with an army, but by way of absolute and utterly vulnerable love? Isn't there something fundamentally shrewd about a Savior who moves the ball forward on life and life eternal by walking through death? We worship a shrewd Savior who risks it all on what surely does not look like it's going to work unless, unless God comes through. The question then, I think, is this for the church. If we know the master to be shrewd, we know of his power made known in humility, we know his forgiveness is stronger than vengeance, we know his vulnerable love is stronger than sin, evil, and death itself, we know his promise never to leave us or forsake us. If we know this about the master, if we could bank on that about the master, What steps of faith can we risk? What are we willing to put on the line for the sake of love if we know we can bank on the shrewd Savior? And would the children of this age take note of some of those steps that we're taking and we will yet take and have to admit to themselves, shrewd people, those Jesus followers, they really do put their well-being, their future, even their life together on the line in the name of love. Amen.